0: Good morning, church. It's great to be here this morning to be able to bring you God's Word once again. I trust that uh, we find you in a good place this morning, that you have counted your blessings, that you have received some form of joy this week that you could just lift up and thank God for. I think there are great things ahead for us uh, as a church And I'm looking forward to uh, that day soon. It's going to be soon, my brothers and sisters, that we can meet again face to face. So please keep your diligent prayers going that soon, very, very soon, we'll be back here together meeting in one place. We won't have a need for this sort of communications. We're going to continue on in our series this morning in the book of Mark, the the soul series. And I'm reminded of a, a course that I was Uh, I had a take in Bible school as a philosophy course, and they asked a question. The question was, if you could have dinner one time with any living or dead individual, whom might you choose to eat with? Now, you would have their undivided attention. It would be just you and them. Who would you want to spend an evening eating supper with? reclining at a table, enjoying a a good hot meal with sparkling conversation. You, You could ask them anything that you wanted to ask them. You could ask them about their struggles, their accomplishments. Maybe they'd give you encouragement, advice, or just simply share stories with you. But more than that, what if they asked you to follow them or live your life like they lived theirs. Who would you want that to be? Who would you choose? It would be difficult choosing for me as it was in my philosophy class. I mean, Nelson Mandela, uh, he could teach me so much about patience. So he'd be a good choice. While well, President Lincoln was said to have a, a heart that ached for the ones for whom society was against. So I think he could teach me a lot about service. Gandhi could teach me about peace and love. And and Keith Green, who was a, a passionate Christian songwriter, he was sold out for Jesus. He could teach me so much about being a disciple. And then there's good old Badger Bob Johnson, one of the greatest hockey coaches in the history of the game, but an even better human being. He knew how to get the best out of everyone. As a leader, he'd be a good guy to have a meal with. Who would you choose? Maybe take time today and ask yourselves that question around the table. Who would you choose to invite, if you could, to this sort of dinner? Ultimately, though, it it really is a futile question because it would be impossible, really, to have this type of dinner with these types of people. But you know, we do have one who is calling out to us, who is inviting us to be with him. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who knows everything. And I mean, he knows everything. He knows exactly how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. He he knows how they put the caramel into the middle of the caramel bar. And he knows what's in the colonel's 11, secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices. He also knows the beginning and the end. He understands everything that you are going through. He knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. Yes, Jesus. What's what I'm talking about, of course. Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, he's inviting us to share in his life. So what would your response be? You know, in last week's sermon, Jesus demonstrated to all those around him that he was God both by healing a paralyzed man and then by forgiving his sins. Thus answering the age-old question of how can a person meet God? You know mankind has been searching for this answer for eternity. Religions have been built to try and answer this question, how can a person meet God? And the answers that we have come up with they're astounding. It always centers around us doing something or offering something. We got to give up bacon we got to burn incense. We have to knock on doors. We have to stand in a corner and hand out literature. We have to get rid of all bad thoughts, do only good deeds, give money, wear the right clothing. You know, for the Jewish people, the way to meet God was to follow the law of Moses. If they obeyed all 613 commandments, yeah, 613 commandments, they would get to meet God. But because we're sinful people, prone to making mistakes, it is impossible to literally and truly keep all 16, 613 of these commandments. You know, every religion on earth is the same. If you want to meet God, you got to follow our rules. But when Jesus healed the paralytic man and then forgave his sins, Jesus was demonstrating that the one true path to God was through him, Jesus Christ, by an act of faith on our part. His requirements are simple. Look to him. Trust in him. Follow him. He is the way to God. To know Jesus is to know God. In all the other religions, including Judaism, God is far away for them. He is virtually unattainable. You're never really sure of your final state even after you die. Now, that's not insurance. That's not assurance at all. In Christianity, though, God comes close to us. Now, this is revolutionary. This is soul revolutionary. How can a a person meet God? Follow Jesus. And that brings us to our passage. This morning, as we continue on discovering about this soul revolution. So, if you have your Bibles or you want to follow on the screen, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. I'll be reading from the NASB. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray. Father God, illuminate for us, through your Holy Spirit, these words. Would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you rebuke us? Will you meet with us? In your name I pray. Amen. What does Jesus see? Well, verse 14 tells us that as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So Jesus sees Levi. He's sitting in the tax collector's booth on the bank of the seashore. Now, Levi, who was also known in our Bible as Matthew, he held a very lucrative job, yet was universally despised at the same time. In his role as tax collector, he would be responsible for collecting taxes for the Roman government, who was in control of Palestine during this time in history. So businesses and homes and livestocks, Um, goods and trades, imports and exports, even road taxes were being charged and collected on behalf of the Roman Empire. Now Eusebius, who's an early church historian, he wrote this about tax collectors. He said, tax collectors were the most despised class of people in Jewish history, in, in Jewish society. And as such, they were treated as outcasts maybe as bad or even as worse as how they treated the Gentiles. They were considered traitors because they served the Roman Empire, but they also were considered to be crooks. You see, the actual collection of taxes was contracted out to these private tax collectors like Levi. So a tax collector like Levi, he would pay the tax ahead of time for his entire territory up front. And then he collected the individual taxes from the people later. So to make this profitable for the tax collector, he charged the populace more than the actual tax rate. And then he just pocketed the rest of the money. He pocketed the markup. So this led to a very high tax rate, opened the doors to all sorts of corruption. Because they were allowed to keep whatever they collected over and above what Rome required. So there was an incentive to collect as much as they could get their hands on. Very few tax collectors were ever considered to be honest men. And despite knowing all he knows about tax collecting, we are told in verse 14 that Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. So what does Jesus see? Well, he sees the courage and the willingness to obey by Levi. Jesus calls out to Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. The gospel of Luke tells this story as well. Only he says that Levi left everything behind to follow Jesus. Now it would have taken some courage to leave this profession. Because once he left, it was not likely he would be able to get that job back again. It was so lucrative. It would be in such high demand. There'd be a a line of people waiting to take this job over. But he left. Levi left. Why? Well, maybe he had a, a crisis of conscience. Or perhaps he was burdened by the shame his position brought to him and his family. We can only speculate on his mental state. But if I had to make a guess, if I had to make a guess, I think he was persuaded by Jesus more than any other reason. Because Levi, he would have heard Jesus preach. He would have heard Jesus preaching from the boat on many occasions. Because his tax booth was right there on the seashore. He would have heard about the miraculous healing of that paralytic by Jesus. And in his heart, after hearing and witnessing these things and wanting to draw close to God, he took the opportunity when invited. Follow me, invited Jesus. And so Levi did. He left everything and followed Jesus. And Levi understood on some level that the cost of following Jesus was small compared to the benefits of actually following Jesus. Yes, he took a risk. He took a risk, but he knew the risk was worth it. To be with Jesus, what could be better than that? And then a party breaks out. Verse 15. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. What does Jesus see? While reclining at the table in Levi's house, Jesus sees a lot of people who have come to celebrate with Levi. There were other tax collectors, scribes of the Pharisees, his, his own personal disciples, and, and, and followers, along with an odd assortment of people from interesting walks of life. Very different walks of life. Luke, again, in his telling of this story, tells us that Levi held this banquet in honor of Jesus but historians believe it may also have been Levi's farewell party thrown by his buddies and his friends. Either way, the man of the hour was Jesus. Levi invited all of his tax collector friends and associates to this party so they could get to meet and know Jesus. It was a feast for all to attend. Now in biblical and ancient times, to eat with someone, it was a big deal. Dining with someone was very intimate. Dining together meant that you associated with them. You did not eat with someone you didn't like or or, or that you detested. And here we see Jesus and his disciples eating with tax collectors and so-called sinners, sharing his life with them and extending a hand of fellowship. So what does Jesus see? He sees a man, Levi, who was celebrating who was excited, who wanted everyone to know of the choice that he made to follow Jesus. And Jesus sees people with whom he wants to associate with. But also in attendance were the scribes and the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, they were a Jewish ruling religious group who held tightly to the written law of Moses and also to the legal traditions of the fathers, laws that weren't recorded in the law of Moses. They were experts in religious law, and they would enforce these laws heavily. They saw themselves as being better or above the common Jew, and and most definitely better than the Gentiles, because they lived such strict adherence to the um, religious laws. The scribes then, they were were the lawyers of the Pharisees, in a sense. These scribes, they could interpret and regulate Jewish law, but they did not interfere with or assume any role in dispensing judgment. They left that to the Pharisees. They were also the ones who would draft up any legal documents that needed to be drawn up often at the behest of the Pharisees. So it's important to note here that it was the scribes of the Pharisees and not the Pharisees themselves who were in attendance at this party. Because I don't think the Pharisees would have been caught dead being seen at this unclean party. But I do wonder, I do wonder if the scribes weren't sent there to spy and take notes for a later legal proceeding the arrest and execution of Jesus. Verse 16 When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why? Why is he eating? With tax collectors and sinners? I mean, it was a fair question according to the law. Jesus is breaking bread, he is eating, he is drinking, he is fellowshipping with sinners. They see that Jesus is breaking the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses has rules concerning unclean animals, unclean food, unclean physical conditions, and unclean people. So those who were not of the Jewish persuasion were, by the law of Moses, deemed unclean, unholy, not to be intermingled with. Numbers 19.22 tells us, Furthermore, anything that the unclean person touches will be unclean. And the person who touches it will be unclean. So by the law of Moses, everybody at this party who was touching stuff and touching each other, they were all unclean. And so it was assumed that if a person ate with sinners, that that person was also a sinner. Yet here's Jesus, setting himself right in the midst of everyone, Jew and non-Jew, the so-called clean and unclean. And the scribes of the Pharisees were wondering why this Jew, Jesus, who has worked miracles, taught others as if he was a prophet, why he would be breaking the law by eating with such unclean people. And I think, in part, he wondered why these disciples, also many of them good Jews, why they would follow such an unclean man. But the disciples didn't get a chance to answer the question. Because Jesus does in verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Boom. Mic drop. Jesus just shut their mouths. I mean, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Don't, don't miss this, my friends. Jesus is being sarcastic with the scribes. At the very least, he's using irony to make a point. The question was, why is Jesus eating with his people? And the answer is, it's because they need a doctor. They are spiritually sick people. Just like the paralytic man was both physically sick and spiritually sick. Jesus healed him physically and spiritually. He saved that man. He forgave him of his sins. You see, Jesus is the great physician who can bring healing, physical, mental, and spiritual to any who needs it. And Jesus was not there at that party to reinforce any type of immoral lifestyle choices. He was simply there to lift them out of the dump that they were living in. So what does Jesus see? He sees all of humanity that has been plunged into sin and darkness, and he has compassion. spelanctha. Jesus feels it in his gut, and he's bowed over in pain over their lost state. That is why he is eating with Levi and his friends. He wants to heal them. He wants to save them. If they were willing, Isaiah 53, 5 But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is both the physician and he is the medicine. He is our cure. But the scribes and their friends, the Pharisees, they thought they were above needing to be healed. They did not believe they were spiritually ill, They saw themselves as being the righteous ones, the healthy ones. They had found righteousness in their diligent faithfulness to do everything they believed God had required of his people in the law. But what does Jesus see? He sees a group of people whom do not want nor feel they need his help. So he ironically or sarcastically even, calls them righteous. Even though we have been told in Psalm 12, 1, Help, O Lord, for there is no longer anyone who is godly or righteous. And then again in Romans 3, 10, as it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. So Jesus is not saying that the scribes, nor their friends, the Pharisees, are healthy. He's just admitting that he knows how they feel about themselves. That they feel they are spiritually superior to everyone else. Even though in reality, they weren't. They weren't righteous. They were self-righteous. You know, Jesus wants to heal. He wants to save anyone who is willing. So Jesus sees a group of people, the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and many others who are Simply unwilling. In fact, w- without a sense of need, there could be no healing for them. For they were unwilling to come to him, who is the sole source of healing. John 5.40, and yet he says, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus basically was telling the scribes and the Pharisees, with this attitude, I have no business with you. Their self-righteousness was based on their works, on what they did. And it was based on their following the law, on what they didn't do. And they thought they could pay off their own sin debt. They lived disciplined lifestyles that were difficult for most people to follow, but inwardly, they were merciless and judgmental. And they wrote off tax collectors and sinners as hopeless, lost, And people to be shunned. You know, in Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee who prayed this prayer. He says, this is the Pharisee praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like tax collectors. These these people were righteous. They were self-righteous in their own eyes. And they opposed Jesus who taught the way of righteousness by faith and not by works. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Only those who acknowledge your sin can receive healing. And all of humanity is sick with sin. It's a deadly disease that always leads to death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Only when we acknowledge our sin, admit our need for a spiritual doctor, can we receive the healing from the great physician. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus is calling everyone to come to him. You don't have to be perfect before you go to God. You don't have to clean up first, then go to Jesus. He wants you the way you are right now. I mean, how silly would it be for us to wait until we were healed before we went to go see our doctor? Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still sick with the disease of sin, Christ died for us. The scribes and the Pharisees, they, they had it backwards. Most of the religions in the world, they have it backwards. We can't earn eternal life. It's a gift of God. We need to admit that we need Jesus. And we need to be willing to come to him. To follow him, leaving everything behind. Jesus does not want anyone to die eternally without first having the chance to follow him. So are you ready to do the very thing that Levi did? Be willing to make a spiritual change and come to Jesus, warts and all. What does Jesus see? Jesus sees people whom he loves. Not unclean, not undesirable, not unholy people. Jesus sees people who need to be rescued. Jesus sees people who need to get up and leave everything behind to follow him. Jesus sees Levi. He doesn't see a tax collector. He knows him by name, not by station. And Jesus sees you. He sees you and he knows you by name, not by your station. This is the soul revolution we're talking about. You don't need to change or qualify yourself before coming to God. In fact, you may find it impossible. Instead, when you come to God just as you truly are with a real and honest assessment of yourself, he will change you. And you can only come to God by coming to Jesus. I began the sermon asking the question, how how can we meet God? And the answer is through coming to Jesus. And coming to Jesus just the way that you are. So what does Jesus see? He sees people in need of his love and forgiveness. And he is waiting for you to come and follow him. Will you do that? Will you choose to follow him if you've never chosen to do that before? If so, would you pray with me? right now. Dear Father, I want to follow you. I have a lot of warts. I have a lot of issues in my life. I still have some unbelief. There's sin that I've committed in my life that I don't think you'd ever forgive. But dear Jesus, I am willing to come to you just as I am to be rescued by you to be spiritually healed by you. I ask you to forgive me, Jesus. I invite you to take control of my life. And I ask you, God, to help change me so that I might be like Levi and become more like you, Jesus. In your name I do pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or a prayer similar to that, would you let us know? Contact us through the webpage. Come to the office. Write us a note. Tell someone that you know attends this church. And we want to celebrate with you. And we want to help you on a road of discipleship, of becoming more and more like Jesus so that he is able to change you into what he wants you to become. But for those of, of you who are listening who are already have already chosen to follow Jesus, and you've already come to him, can I encourage you to follow Jesus in a bit of a different way this morning? I want you to follow his lead. And here's how I want you to do it. By eating a meal with those who are in need of God. You you know who I mean. Uh, It may be a family member, It, it might be a neighbor, it might be a co-worker, maybe it's a fellow student, it's your banker, it's your insurance broker, it's your financial advisor. Remember eating a meal together, it's an intimate thing. And dining together means you are willing to associate with them. So share your life with those in need of the great physician. Extend to them your hand of fellowship. Jesus Sorry, Levi was quick to obey Jesus and so should we in this department. Levi was excited about his new life in Jesus and so should we. And Levi wanted to share this newfound salvation with everyone he knew. And my brothers and sisters, so should we. So let's start building bridges into lives so that you might share the hope that you have been called to. Eternal life with God. We are called to follow Jesus into eternal life with God, and we are called to follow Jesus in discipleship. So come, follow him. Go and have a meal with someone who needs to know about Jesus, and just share your story with them. My brothers and sisters, I've gone a little long this morning. and I apologize, but I am passionate about this. This is what the mission of God is all about. And we need to be on mission. So go with his grace. Go with his blessing. And go and just build bridges into people's lives and share your love of Jesus with them. Thank you. And God bless you. Have a great and wonderful week. Amen.